to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines of pop culture, and the meaning about it all. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, and I'm like, I'm going to by more. How's it going, man? We're getting closer and closer to this saying change in Wellington. No, we got to just gotta take out one one part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I'm doing good, man. How's everything? It's going, it's going really good, man. And we have a lot of topics to get into. Um, obviously, some some thoughts on um, last week's NBA All-Star Weekend. Um also, a, a new trade with, with Westbrook going to the Clippers. Some album reviews in the second half. We're going to do a review of Insomnia. But um, start off with just thoughts on on the NBA All Star Weekend and Mac McClung's ascension in the dunk contest. Um, Team Giannis won one eighty four to one seventy five. Jason Tatum had a, a record fifty five points. Um, Damian Lillard also won the three point contest. And and Mac McClung's win in the dunk contest was kind of like the main um, thing yeah. that was talked about the most. Um, you know, definitely, but bumped up his popularity. But the conversation around the the All Star game is just like. The game wasn't interesting. Um, there, there's no defense a, a, as 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 usual. But there really wasn't. Because even last year, we saw what what Skeff did, and that got everybody talking. Everybody was interested in it, what he was doing. But this year, it just felt like right. there wasn't the same draw a, as it's been in the past. What were your thoughts on the All Star Weekend and some of the, the events that took place? Another low management. You you look at the difference between when you know back in the day. I want to say back Kobe. in the day when Jordan, Kobe, those guys. That was yeah. That was a pickup game. That was literally everybody's going to to get better and give the fans a show that they'll never see only once during the NBA season. Right. Now it's just like another low man, low management situation. These fans are paying X amount of money for these tickets for you guys just to louse around, not run up the court, just shoot whatever, shoot crazy shots. It's cool, yeah. but we still want to see some defense. We still want to see some guys dunked on. We want to see some – like, it's a lot of things we want to see as an all-star game mm-hmm. that we're not getting anymore. Some things need to change again. Like, yeah, they got they did the three-point – not the rules. The rules don't need to change. No, That's not no. what we're asking for. We're asking for the players to give – more than they are. This is not a low management situation. This is All Star Weekend. Come on. This is not the Clippers All Star Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I mean, also like another thing that was mentioned was like with the dunk contest, not having some of like the biggest stars in it because like people were wanting John Moran to be a part of it. He he, he didn't want to. Also, like there's also been the thing of like LeBron never being a part of the dunk contest, but he's yeah. always said. He's more of an in-game dunker. Like, yes. he's not one of those guys who's going to create a dunk. Like, what are your thoughts on when, like, fans and even, like, certain media people want the best players to be a part of certain contests that they're, they're just not really kind of accustomed to it and are not going to, like, really want to be interested in? At the end of the day, it's, it's all about press. What we can write about, what's what's hot news of obviously yeah. LeBron James getting you know get into the dunk contest. It's going to be everybody's going to tune in. Rating's going to be high, but like you said, he he's definitely an in game dunker. He's not a creative dunker. He's got a windmill. He got the head over the rim with the one arm. He's not creative in right. his dunk package. Now I think John Morant would be a good one to have in the dunk contest, but who wants you to you know get a billion likes for you to do so, and. Where I think that's nonsense. You 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 parade on social media that if you jump with me, you're gonna be on a poster. Why not do that in a dunk contest? It's it's all about ratings. You're still gonna. It's so I just don't understand his term. I mean, his train of thought when it comes to the dunk contest. You're not gonna get injured. Are you gonna if it? Are you gonna get exposed that you're not as a creative dunking as you think you are? Possibly. That might be. But I, 
Possibly. Maybe you're an in-game dunker. You just dunk on people, which is cool. But, I mean, they could have got, you know, more interesting people. K.J. Martin, Trey Murphy III, Jericho Sims. Most of these guys thought they were doing amazing dunks. Bro, you were doing, <laughs> like, Fisher-Price dunks, bro. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? So, yeah, I thought, yeah, if it wasn't for Matt McClung, which we already knew he was, like, fantastic oh, yeah. when, when dunking. Like, we already knew what he was going to bring to the table. It's a trendy pick to win it. And literally, they could have put anybody else in. They, they could have um, got Dwight Howard from overseas. Like, hey, bro, we need you in the dunk contest Bring again. Bring back something, man. <laughs> Just something, bro. Because, I mean, he was literally in a league of his own, and it showed. He was so creative. He, he did different dunks. I mean, even obviously. Griffin, even back with Blake Griffin dropping, jumping over the key. Like, the dunk contest used to, used to even mean something. Like, everybody was hyped for it. The uh, Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, which I think was, like, the best one. That, that, we that had was literally the best one like that, in a that, long time. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's been so long since we really kind of had that that feeling and sentiment. For sure. I mean, that's competitive nature. Those guys were going at it. I remember watching a bunch of videos on YouTube, like, you know, 10-plus years ago when I was high school, of Dominique Wilkins, yeah. uh, Michael Jordan, uh, some other guys going at it, and Spud Webb. Like those guys was really going at it. But now, that's an all star. <sighs> that's a dunk contest you would, you would literally rewatch. Like I, I yes. would literally rewatch that, and and, and and it it would be interesting from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And he was doing Mike, man. Michael Jordan was so creative with his dunk, rock the baby, uh, the lean. Like that was the <laughs> best dunk. That lean. Yes. How do you lean in the air, bro? <laughs> Man, that's crazy. The creativity but now, was just at all time high. We don't see that anymore. Well, for one guy, obviously, anyone. Yeah. Um. And, and now getting into to Westbrook uh, heading to the Clippers and kind of how how this um this new fit will work. Um. The, the signing took place um earlier th- this week after the Jazz completed a buyout, and the Clippers have kind of been actively looking for a point guard who could best fit the Clippers' current construct as the team lacked depth um at the position after dealing Reggie Jackson and, and John Wall, and you know. A lot. This has been an interesting um, re- kind of like move because I feel as though the Clippers could have used a guard who could score, like like act- actively like shoot better, like in terms of like a Cal Lowry or a Fred Van Vliet. And I think sometimes when you look at the the issue with Westbrook being with his team is that Paul George and Kawhi are also ball dominant as well. And mm-hmm. if and if Westbrook doesn't have the ball, he's not going to be productive. He's just going to be almost like the Rockets days when he was just 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 kind of standing around and 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 Harden was was being ball dominant, but what are your thoughts on this move and kind of how this new fit will work? I think Tyron Luton understands what he's getting from uh, Russell Westbrook. Russell, Russell Westbrook. Uh, <laughs> already, we're going in and already. already. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he understands, and he said that in, in a quote, I'm not you know, wanting Russ to be anything but Russ. And, right. I mean, that's what he was in his debut. I think he was 14. Yeah, and that game no, was 176 for 175. Which was crazy, but the the mo of Russ, the seven turnovers, and I understand that he needs the ball in his hands. But when the ball is in his hands, he he turns over the ball a lot. So I think they understand of they use utilize the personnel really well. And and then I don't think Kawhi will play as much because you know that low management man. You you know he doesn't want to get hurt. And funny thing is, yeah. He's going to play every game. He's going to give you the same mediocre style of play. It's taking <laughs> nothing for Russ. I'm, and I'm not trying to be funny. That's that's the MO. That's the pattern. Like, yeah. 
Literally 17 points, 14 assists, seven get. turnovers. Yes, we know what we're gonna get. We're consistent consistent every night. Yeah. So it's the mediocre play, but it's presence. I think Russ is a great guy. I think that's what why he's still in the league. I mean, he still has some luster there, but him being a great guy and becoming a team player is why he's still in the league, yeah. in my opinion. So they're gonna get the same mediocre play game and out, but he's gonna play every night. And then the difference is Tyron Lue play him in like the crutch moments. The because right. Lakers never play him in the crutch moments. They kind of subbed him out and put another different personnel in. They left him in in this double overtime. Why is this game so high, bro? Like <laughs> I was literally saying that I looked at this I I wasn't able to see the game last night. But I when I when I got home I looked at the score I was like there's no way. That's that's an all-star game score. That's literally an all-star game. Score. Literally an all-star game. I was like, bro, who do they have in? And I was like, <laughs> oh, this is the Kings and the Clippers. Okay, okay. And then I was looking at they all they have is De'Aaron, uh, De'Aaron Fox. Fox. And I'm like, bro, Fox going off like this? We've been waiting <laughs> for Fox to yes, go crazy. We talked about that. We talked about for that. For years. Yes. After the All-Star break, man, they want it. They want to. <laughs> it's so crazy, like, the mentality after All-Star break. Like, no, nah, we got to get to it. We got to get to it. <laughs> we were just fooling, y'all. We just was waiting for the All-Star break. <laughs> no, you better kick it in. You better win every game. But I don't think that, obviously, that's not possible. Obviously. Right. <laughs> Mathematically. <laughs> um, but, but but now getting into to Nate McMillan um, being let go from the Hawks and, and also just how Atlanta can improve going forward. Um, This firing took place on Tuesday, clearing the way kind of for an immediate search that will start with leading candidate Quinn Snyder. And this is also the second significant change in the Hawks' uh, leadership this season um, with um, President of Basketball Operations Travis Slank also stepping down December 21st. And there have been numerous reports of him and Trey Young not getting along. And, and, and obviously, like, when, when the star player doesn't get along with the coach, like, the star player is going to stay and the coach is eventually going to leave. Like, obviously, like, expendable, this, yeah. Yeah, we've seen this scenario multiple times in the past. But, but, but what are your thoughts on, you know, the departure, uh, you know, Nate McMillan going and also just like what the Hawks can do going forward. They're trying to shake things up. We've, what, Trey Young has been drafted, what, 2018, 2019, maybe? Yeah. Somewhere in that, somewhere around that time. So in the the past five, six years, they have not hit the ceiling. Other than than the Eastern Conference Finals, I I think against the Bucks a couple years ago. Yeah. Like the last time they like really... Almost got there. That was three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but you look at the Atlanta Hawks at one point were really consistently good, oh, yeah. right? And that, that was a terrible sentence to conform. 60, 60, 60 wins. wins 60 wins at one point. Back to back. They, well, that's when they had uh, Jeff Teague, uh, Bazemore, a couple other guys. Corver. that I'm, uh, Corver, yeah, Corver was there. He rejuvenated a little bit over there. They used to have a squad. They used to have a good squad and just going from that, like, okay, we just need something else. And then you go down, then they drop the young guy that they believe in, go to right. the, the, the NBA or well, the finals, Instagram finals, and then lose. And then after that, none existed. So I think the, the management or, you know, the front office, like, okay, we need to do something. We need to change something up. They're even talking about trading uh, Trey Young, mm. looking for possible trades for Trey Young. And I get it. Understand, you got to rebuild. We have to shake things up. We have been doing the same thing. Again, you said this the about the Jazz. Result. You said this about the Jazz. The jazz. Months, 
Yeah, they're gonna have to start getting rid of get rid of Trey Young is expendable now. I think so. He has not shown anything since he since the East, I'll give you Eastern Conference Finals, right? Yeah. He's been in the league five, six years. Okay, you go to Eastern Conference Finals one time. Okay, cool, buddy. <laughs> how much money are we paying you, buddy? Buddy, how many how many money are we paying you, buddy? <laughs> so now the fans, front office, everybody's demanding more. We gotta see something. So now if they get some draft picks for Trey Young or even get some two rotational players, that's a win for them. Trey Young goes to Miami. I think he fits with Miami, even though they just got Kevin Love. They have money to spend. Uh, this is probably some other teams that they could shop around. New York Knicks have some money. Uh, Brooklyn Nets have some money. They could probably get some good players. Seth Curry can go over there. That could be a good uh, a guy coming off the bench or starting in the lineup. So, they need to start shopping him around and hit them firing Nick McMillan, I think is a sign of like, we will do any and everything for our organization to be successful. Sure. So, and I think Nick McMillan did a great job with the Hawks. I think he had a great tenure there, but it's, they had to make it, make a move. And the first move was like, okay, we got to get these players to understand all of y'all are expendable. This is a business. First and foremost, we, they love Nick McMillan, by the way. Oh yeah. They, Front office loved Nate McMillan, but they had to make it. They had to make a decision. Like, hey, we got to get rid of some guys, and mm. we love you, but this is a business, buddy. At the end but of the day, know, that's yeah. what the NBA always has been. Like, for for the the most consistent coaches, the 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 best ones, unless you actually kind of get to that. Well, even even when Frank, Frank Vogel, yes, I mean, he won a final. Was- you know what I mean? So, and he got let go. So, so I mean, like that shows you how much the NBA is a business, even when you. Have have won a, a a title in the past and still can't deliver in in the following years. That that shows you how expendable. Shoot, Brad is. Stevens. Yeah. Brad Stevens is another one. Yeah. Heck of a coach. But at the end of the day, you're not doing what we need you results that we want. So we gotta let you go. But I think Nathan yeah. Miller would land back on his feet for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and kind of getting to like like which team has the most pressure. Uh, kind of in, in the second half of the season mm-hmm. as as we're in the the, the last twenty plus, uh, plus games like. To, to me, like Phoenix, obviously is going to be the team that's going to be mentioned the most because, like, when you bring in, because when Katie comes in, they're going to be like, "How's this team going to look?" They're expecting um, just high, high scoring throughout, obviously, with, with so many offensive weapons, and then, and then defensively with what TJ Warren can do, and obviously Katie can be a two way player as well. But, but what team do you um, do you think is going to have like the most pressure in the second half of this season to close it out? Uh one Lakers. Yeah. Uh, to get into that fold of playing to get into the playoffs, I think they Lakers a, have they, they have a chance to actually actually be a, a sixty. They're they're not that far out. I think so too. I think mm, it's going to take a lot, but if they if they can buckle down and get into uh, and win out there and then try to get into playoffs, I think they can make a run for it. Um, this is a better fit. This is a better fit, especially with the Angelo yeah. Russell. They, they, this, this team looks like more of a, a, a natural LeBron-led team. Yeah, and I think D'Angelo Russell understands the role he's in, yeah. and he's he's that guy, just a chameleon. I mean, you see him with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, Milwaukee, not Milwaukee, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota yeah. Timberwolves, and when he was with the the Golden State Warriors, yes. he's just a chameleon. The guy can get into any basketball team. now. Now. After he was traded from the Lakers oh, the first yeah. time, yeah. then he became that chameleon guy. He, when he went to sure, the Brooklyn Nets, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, guy's good. And I'll say two other teams, Miami, 
There's a lot of pressure on them to me because they just shook around a lot of players. They're still trying to deal away Kyle Lowry. Just get Kevin Love. I think he's going to get a good spacer and a guy who can still can shoot and he'll be a good defender on the back end. But I think Miami has a lot of pressure. And then obviously Boston. Oh, yeah. Boston has this, a this, lot this, of This pressure. team has to get back to the finals. Number one seed right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously the tie with Milwaukee. But I think... Who else Boston? is going to challenge them in the East? Like, I think, I think they, they got to be the go-to team in the East, honestly. I, I mean, outside of Milwaukee, Milwaukee, outside of Milwaukee, yeah. yeah whenever, because I was watching, I, I, I saw a clip earlier, I, I mean, earlier this week with, um, it, I think it was, it was uh, Luka, Tatum, and uh, Luka, Tatum, and Donovan Mitchell. They're talking about who's the best mm-hmm. player. And they all, well, outside of Luka, they all unanimously said Giannis. Like, it's just like, he's that guy you have to like, go through yeah. right now you know what i mean because he, he you can't stop him you you you, you, you got to build a wall because he he's gonna get his every game no matter what yeah he takes two steps he's at the rim yeah. and he's at the half court line takes two steps he's at the rim like that's insane like he's yeah he yeah Giannis is definitely a beast and he's he's creating that three-point shot even more and developing that three-point shot once he does that, the guy is going to be Nash. I think he has, you know, pretty good ball skills. Obviously, he can finish at the rim. Obviously, he can pick a roll, play defense, finish, finish, you know, all those things. But when he has that three-point shot, bro, he's okay. going to I be talk. like Kevin Durant. Because he has, I think his short game is really good. Like, oh, I'm talking golf. I think his mid-range shot, let me, let me switch. <laughs> switch <boards>. Sports. <laughs> Mid-shot uh, game is pretty good. It's, that's developed over the years. And mm. now he's getting that confidence to shoot the three-point. And he's pretty good. I think he's, what, 80-something 80, 80 percent at the free-throw line. So I think that's yeah. still good. So he's checking boxes all across the, the, the board. But when he's in a three-point shot, he's going to be even Lethal. more unstoppable. But hey, notice I haven't said Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. I noticed that. I'm just going to leave, <laughs> so leave that there right there. Yeah, just leave that right <laughs> Um, and, and now we get into our album reviews with, with our first album, Don Tolliver's Love Sick. Uh, this album contains kind of a, a larger c- conceptual event that, that reveals more about uh, Tolliver's insane, insane 16 uh, songs in total with an incredible list of collaborations on, on the production side. Hip Boy, Cardo, uh, Weezy, Deck Wright, and Kate Trinata helped put the project together. And uh, even even a couple of years ago w- with Don Tolliver's last album, Life of a Don, w- we, we mentioned that, how how kind of you know, more unique he was getting and how his, his sound was developing and how people just were kind of gravitating to his music even more. But with this with this new project, what were some of your initial thoughts on it and, and, and kind of like, you know, your overall takeaways? Fire! Finally Fire, got an album bro. that we love. <laughs> Fire, bro. Like, I think this was uh, his best complete album. Mm. Uh, and I could tell, it, I well... I didn't know it was that producer, but I can like it had like remnants of his DNA as a producer in this Westcon. Cause some of the beats, I'm like, but how it started off really got me, bro. The first five songs, bro. Love sickness, bro. How that came out, and then it just transitioned to let her go. Like, bro, I'm like, okay. But my favorite song is obviously for me, bro. That sample. Oh yes, man. We love you, my girl. But the but I was like, oh, this sound familiar because I. Before I saw the stuff that you sent for our podcast, mm. I saw um, 
it was on a playlist I was looking, listening to when I was working out. And I was like, bro, why does it sound like the elephant man or something? And I looked and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is Don Oliver. Yep. And simple. I was like, bro, I played that song about a million times. And I then heard. then I saw you put the album. I was like, he got an album coming out? Yeah. He was putting out a what? bunch of clips. He's putting out a bunch of teasers for it as well. Bro, that's fire, bro. Yeah, this whole album fire. Even with um the Charlie Wilson, uh, I thought that was gonna be like super weird. <laughs> I love it. it. I yeah, love it worked, it. bro. Charlie Wilson works on every feature. He just does not miss on a feature, man. Like he he, he Never, can't. Bro. He can't. <laughs> Even in the end, he was like, Charlie, get out of this room. I was like, why is he talking in a third person, bro? <laughs> you already good. And I was like, what? what you weird. <laughs> but nah, this was fire though, bro. This is uh yeah. got saved. Mm-hmm. Got saved, yeah. I've been listening to it for for a minute now. Yeah, so, well, it came out yesterday. Literally came out yesterday, man. and I've just been listening to it. Like that's the only album I listened to Tink's album to. Well, listening to Tink mm-hmm. album, trying to you know broaden my horizon with female artists. Yeah. Trying to, it's so far it's pretty good. So far mm-hmm. it's pretty good. But nah, yeah, this was bro. He's and he's just elevating. I feel like every album, like he, he's putting out, he's just he's just becoming more comfortable. Like, when can you tell an artist is just like kind of fully getting in, in their own zone and like just really kind of finding themselves and being secure in what they're putting out? I think he's, at, well, just speaking for Don Teller, I think he's already was in that niche. Because mm. at first we all, obviously when you get introduced from the artist who signed you with Travis Scott, you have similarities to him. That's why he signed you. Yeah. Like you're, you're marketable. Cause you're just like me, Same ring. but he, but he like quickly distinguished himself between him and Travis Scott. And then the, you guys are not like he carried oh, yeah. most of Travis Scott's songs, but it's silent. Then you have that distinguishness in different um, albums, different singles, and then right. your sound. He, I think he's already had his similar sound. Obviously, it's auto tunes, but how he changes his voice, the falsetto sometimes. And now, now I think he finally got to a point where he can put out a full body of work that yes. you can't skip. Cause yeah. I mean, I've saved like probably four or five songs from each project that he's done, but this saved all of them. The most. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's finally realizing how to put out a full body of work that's yeah. sustainable throughout. Like, I'm not going to get tired of hearing your sound. Right. So I think he's trying to figure out that niche with this album. And obviously when you work with different producers, they bring something out of you. And then I love the Brent Fayez. I didn't know what to expect with that one because they're two different styles. Yeah, I was wondering how that was going to mesh, and, it, and it, it worked well. It worked well. I've, shout out to a producer. I think that's because they sampled uh, Brent Fayez, I think one of his songs or whatever, and obviously Don Toller wrote over that, and then you switch it up at the end so Brent Fayez can kind of like eat off, uh, well, kill, well, you know what I'm saying, be good on, on the beat, whatever. Yeah, honestly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good good shots out to the producer for doing that, because yeah, that's what makes artists, yeah. This was a good full body of work. Definitely. Um, and, and now getting to our next review with, with Logic's College Park. Um, in his new album, he, he, he attempts to craft thoughtful punchlines while addressing tough topics. Also, mental health struggles uh, are mentioned along with different interludes um uh throughout it um and this is also his first album as an in- independent artist um what were your thoughts on, on on this on this uh body of work and also some of the features with it so i 
same like logic. <laughs> same, yeah. It's the same logic, bro. I mean, I love the one song I did love was Shimmy. Ooh, with Joey. Because Joey. Oh, my goodness, Joey, man. Joey, though, this. Bro. I was listening to that this morning. I was like, man, Joey's. Joey chilling. is insane. Did you see? I don't I hate to take this from Logic, but did you see his. Uh, uh, he was covering a bunch of songs singing with the live band. Bro, do smooth like silk, bro. Joey oh, yeah. can. He could perform, sing, whatever, act. The guy is jack of all trades, bro. Yes, bro. But this album was the same logic, bro. Same logic. If you gotta like, we talked about the single that he put out, which wasn't a single. Wake and up. It, it, yeah, and it flowed well in the album, though. Yeah, oh yeah. Now when I was listening to it throughout the album, I was like, yeah, this works. Yeah. It flowed well with the album, which we thought because it's the album it's song, not a, <laughs> not a single. <laughs> Uh, but Cecily, I, I it, Cecily only puts out single songs. She's the only one that gets it right. <laughs> she dropped an album now or yeah, EP yeah, she at does, least. Please, <laughs> you need to hurry up. But now nah, this was the same lot. If you're gonna come out retirement, you're gonna do all this hoopla. Like I'm done with music, and I and I get the he's mental health. He's doing the Jay Z 03. He's doing the Jay Z 03 thing where he just keeps. Re- <laughs> Tell me what you got. Look, well he, well Jay Z came back. He dropped a single song. Show me what yeah. you got when he first came back, bro. That was fire. Yo. We get uh wake up and some other songs that are not not that, bro. Yeah, this was literally the same logic. Exact logic. Not I'm not saying it's bad. Let me let me let me clarify. No, no, because he he put out good songs on this. It just wasn't yeah, anything different. Sure. Like it, it wasn't just different. it wasn't anything different from what we got, even with the last because he put out an album, I think, back in June. Uh, last yes. June, so it's just like yes. it's very, it's very quick in terms of how much music he's putting out. It's like, and I hate to compare this to, you know, like, no, I'm not gonna do it. So I'm not gonna do. I'm not, not gonna do. Go. Gonna do it. <laughs> no, it's bad, bro. It's okay. bad, bro. It's well, you know how you thought somebody? No, 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 no. no like, gonna, we're gonna get canceled. Oh, okay, we're okay, gonna okay, get canceled. Okay. <laughs> but no, man, like we 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 felt bad. Like you retired. Like, bro. Like I'm a I'm a I would say I'm a fan of you. Like I'm a fan. You're going out with a bang. Cool. Stay gone. Man, you come back and you give us the same exact stuff. Like, bro, if you gotta come back, do something different. Like be experimental. Yes. Why did you come back in the first place? If you're gonna do the same thing. So I'll leave it there. But this was like it wasn't bad. It was it was okay. Yeah. Like it didn't get, the only song that got saved was Shimmy, and Joey saved that song. That's the worst when an artist, when a feature is the one who actually says, <laughs> is the reason your your song got saved. <laughs> <laughs> you better thank him. Send, him. send him a postcard or something. Send him some flowers. <laughs> um, and, and now getting into Sabrina Claudio's archives and, and lullabies. In, in her new 11-song album, she, she includes seven unreleased songs and acoustic versions of 2022's Based on a Feeling album. And this is also her sixth R and B oriented project, and it's, and it's her first body of work as an independent artist. Um, uh, what were what were your thoughts on this album and, and her being independent now? Because like even um, you know, last year she put out a project, and, and you know we mentioned that sometimes ever since her like 2017 album, uh, it had kind of been a drift from what she usually puts out. But I feel as though she's kind of getting back to that a little bit more more now. But what, what, what were your initial thoughts on this? I agree. You know, I. I've- was back listening to her 
probably like 16 and 17, especially when she was doing uh collabs with Khalid. Um, I thought that sound was very pure. And then obviously when you get signed and you go into mainstream, it kind of changes because you want to fit a certain demographic. But now that she's, you know, independent, I feel like she's going to get back to what she fell yeah. in love with music. And I think this is a good start. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was solid. It was, it was a couple of songs that were like, okay, those are, those are, those are decently good. Those are nice vibes. And I think that's her own MO. She's a vibe. Like she, she doesn't go past her range. If that makes sense. She yeah, that's does, a she, good thing to do. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a, she's safe. She's a safe artist. She's a safe singer. She doesn't, she's like Gibeon or whatever his name is. What, what do you think about safe artists though? Like, like when they just kind of just stay in their pocket and just never kind of branch out. Like, like, do you think that that can be a negative at times? You better learn how to play uh, instruments. Mm. Look at her. Her is a safe artist. She can sing now, but she's she's safe. Her image safe, her singing safe. But you know what saves her? She could play like a thousand instruments. Bro. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> she there's can no cover. limit. Her. Yeah, she could. She like she covered Elton John. Mm-hmm. Like she was playing Elton John was jumped out of his seat when she he was playing. She was playing uh the guitar and the piano and all that stuff, bro. Like Alicia Keys. No, Alicia Keys. Yeah, actually, no, nah, she be she ain't safe. She from the hood. She from New York. New York, New York. Brah. Like, like a whole homeboy in one of those pictures. She was in the studio. So now, nah, now, nah. she's not a safe artist. And she can sing. We've seen her range. So, like, yeah. well, she's Sabrina is a safe artist. She's not going to go past her limitations. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. But if you want to stay in that, you better learn how to play some instruments. Yeah, definitely. Or, yeah just branch out in some capacity because like you said like with her like the um the 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 last project she put back in 2021 she just she showed her full range in that in that body of work like it was a long it was a longer album but still like the fact that she can do so many things instrumentation wise it makes it makes her sound and makes her overall product just it takes it to another level because we can get stuck in on just on, on your voice, but when you can do other things, it just shows, okay, like yeah. this, this person is just multifaceted and, and, and there, there's nothing that they really can't do. And she could perform. That too. Like outside of just playing the instruments, she's amazing live. Yeah. Like her live performances are really, really good. She's marketable in different facts. That's why she was on Nickelodeon, right? Mm-hmm. She was, she did cameos in Nickelodeon. Not a lot of artists could do that because she's clean <laughs> and safe, but Outside of and she makes she writes, and then she has good writers around her. Her music, it's like I'm not saying like she's a safe singer, right? She she stays in the pocket. She know what she can do. But when you have when you can write, when you have good writers around you, the music, the product. Sabrina is like yeah, it comes alive. Sabrina is kind of like limit in my opinion. She was limited in certain aspects of her music. So now I hope she can can go freely and explore who she is as an artist. At being independent, she's always going to be a vibe. She's always going to be a vibe. Oh, for sure. You could play her. Don't let me down. (laughs) I told you things about, yeah, bro. That's a fire song, right? Mm -hmm. Vibe. So, yeah, definitely. Um, and 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 now getting to to our last review with Anderson Pac and Corday's latest song, Two Tens. Um, and their latest uh, J Cole produced single, the two artists kind of go back and forth about all of the burdens that 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 come with, with, with being rich. 
and um, kind of uh, touch on the, on that subject a little more. But what were your, your thoughts on this collab, the, the production of it, and just kind of like the overall uh, feel to it? J. Cole produced it? Yeah. That's solid. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fire, bro. That'd be fire. <laughs> I'll play that song so much. <laughs> hey, that's fire. Obviously, they collab is crazy all, yes. always. This was fire. I like the conversation. And obviously, I think Corday was more laid back on it. Because you could tell in his, like, uh, his cadence, it was like slow play. Because obviously, he was like having a conversation. Yeah. And that's hard to do on a beat. Super hard. Really hard to do on a beat. Um, and Rappers out there that are listening, you know. <laughs> yeah, bro. That's really hard to have a conversation over a beat. Like, and, and still rap in like poetry form. Mm-hmm. Or spillatry, as a as some people will call it. So it's kind of like a spillatry moment with Corday, but Westcott was actually like rapping because he's used to that. Like he's he's rapping, singing, he's interchanging his yeah. voices and pitches and going to Westcott. That boy can sing while playing the drums, bro. That is that hard. is so tough. That, that was talented. So <laughs> Cause I would have been like I would have messing up. Like I don't even know how to play the drums. Anyways, first and foremost. But no, yeah, obviously this was this was a fire song. Yep. Fire, fire. I love their interactions. I love the the collab. It's, it reminds me of like a a, a stronger Method Man and Red Man. Because mm. when they collab, bro, they never miss on a collab. Innocent Pack and uh, Corday never miss on a collab. Even what they were doing, uh, I think they did not a joint album, but they was like putting out a bunch of songs together. I can't remember. But nah, they don't miss on collabs. This was fire. And that's the thing, like to you, what what is like the secret, you know, the the, the secret ingredient or, or the secret sauce to like what makes a collab so great? Because we see artists collab a lot. Sometimes it works, other times it, it, it doesn't. But what really do, do, to, to you just makes it just kind of like go and, and, and match from the jump? A lot of things. First of all, it has to be chemistry. Yeah. You look at, um, a lot of people love the Drake and 21 Savage. They love that album. Obviously, they hang out. They're friends. They chill. Yeah, it's a natural vibe. Yeah, natural vibe. Drake and Futures collab, chill. They know each other. Like, you know what I'm saying? They in their talent. Chemistry is one. Talented. <laughs> talented and producer. Yes. Producing. Yes. Those three. Like you like, and I always go back to this um Ty Dolla Sign division. <laughs> It always was gets missing, mentioned. Listen, it was always missing one element, bro. They was missing one element. Chemistry. Because they had the producer. They had the talent. They don't have no y'all chemistry. Don't y'all, don't <laughs> y'all are two so, different artists. <laughs> two different artists, bro. Yeah. And Todd Dallasan ain't no singer-singer. Division is a singer-singer. Yes. So you're putting a singing rapping and an actual singer on the same song and trying to make the mesh and then and then, and then work in my opinion. But no, those are three things you need that chemistry. You know, obviously Corday and Innocent Pack to just have that chemistry. The producing was there. Obviously, J- <clears throat> I didn't know J. Cole made the beat, which was even crazier because mm-hmm. J. Cole's beat uh production has grown over his career. Oh, yes. He's been I've heard some sick beats that never even made it out. I'm like, bro, like on this documentary, I'm like, bro, why does never why this never came never out? out? Yeah, I have so many questions about things that just never went out. Like, <laughs> hey, bro, why are you sitting on this? But anywho, yeah, yeah. But I thought this was fire. Obviously, the 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 <clears throat> the lyrics was there, the cadence, the the product, the the concept. I thought it was a dope concept. But yeah, mm-hmm. overall, it was a really good song. Definitely.
We're going to take a quick, quick break. We'll be right back with our insomnia review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our, in our insomnia review. And to start with the overview, and insomnia is a 2002 New York psychological mystery crime thriller directed by Christopher Nolan, written by Hilary Seitz, starring Al Pacino, Robert Williams, Hilary Swank, with Mara Tierney. The film begins with two Los Angeles homicide detectives investigating a murder in, in Nightmute, Alaska, after the killer witnesses an accident done by one of the detectives. They create a plan for both parties to mutually avoid prosecution. They had a budget of $46 million and brought in $113.8 million to the box office. Also had a 92% rating on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but what were your initial thoughts on a movie that was, you know, obviously driven by Al Pacino and Robert Williams' performances and was just a smart and rivet, riveting psychological drama? You know, it's it's, it's it was different seeing uh, Robin Williams play like a detective because obviously growing up, we see him in Flubber, Mrs. Doubtfire, yeah. uh, Goodwill Hunting, like all those movies. That's like, you know, Aladdin, him voicing Aladdin, a bunch of other characters. Yeah. But then you get him in a serious role and you just see his range. And we all know Al Pacino had that range, bro. Like he's oh, yeah. been in everything and everything. But just seeing Robin Williams in this different role was like, it was breathtaking. Like, bro, he can do got range. He could do anything. He could play anything, portray anyone. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was it. That caught me out, caught my eye in the first place. Then you see all these Al Pacino, man. The first movie I watched Al Pacino was um, Scarface, which is a terrible movie for a kid to watch. <laughs> and I always that was thought, your like, intro. That was your intro. Yes, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that was my intro to Al Pacino and then after that you get heat and some other like a plethora of the movies so yeah just still my all time favorite yeah just seeing this seeing this film was like really was like yo these guys can play anything yeah definitely and I mean also like you know we've reviewed countless Christopher Nolan movies in the past but this is a film that doesn't get mentioned um from his catalog a lot like do you think this is one of those movies because like obviously we talk about films that are like the the kind of the deep cuts like even when we mentioned um i think it was raging bull for for martin scorsese and how that one is not as mentioned as much as like a scorsese's like mob masterpieces um and it kind of gets lost in the shuffle like do you, can can you kind of tell why this movie isn't mentioned as much compared to some of the other maybe pop more popular christopher nolan films um I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, he, he has the blockbuster dramas of Dark yeah, Knight and Inception. Dark Knight you know? and all those Inception. Yeah. But I think this film was more. It, was, it wasn't as different because I think it was like the same sort of kind of storyline. Because you look at the Batman film. Batman was a detective and he's a vigilante, yeah. but he's a detective in himself. And then he's he's at night. You know what I'm saying? He don't get no sleep for real. <laughs> and that's insomnia part two. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Am I am I Michael Jordan Space Jam stretching right now, Wellington? Is that even remotely close? I just you know pull it out the hat. Um, <laughs> there's similarities. There's similarities. But I think man. there's similar, a lot of similarities yeah. in movies. And how it was shot too is definitely similar as how it was shot. Obviously, you have more action in a Batman film, even Inception. Even though I'm not a really a huge fan of Inception. Train, train uh, hear that. But I mean, but I think there are some similarities within it because just like, you know, yeah, yeah, there's some similarities. So it's not him going too far from what he's used to doing. Not saying right. he doesn't have range as a director and, you know, whatever, but mm -hmm. just saying they have some similarities in those, those, in all those, those type movies. of films. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and I'll get into our first topic from one to four stars. What would you give it? Um, what would be your particular rating for, for this film and some of the reasons? I would give it a, hmm. 
I'll give it a I'll give it three stars. Yeah, that's the same level. I'll give it three stars. At some of the points of the movie, I kind of got lost. Not lost, but kind of got like uninterested. It low there was a bit of a lull in the middle part where I was just like, it just yeah. didn't keep keep me engaged throughout the entire film. I mean, yeah, and it, it was it, I think it was shot pretty decently. And I think the storyline was there, but it was just like it waned too long. Like, bro, like what connect them faster. Like, <laughs> like butter your seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, put it together already. Like, we don't need this long drawn now. Like, bro, it doesn't it didn't take that long to figure this out or transition yeah. to this. So I think that's what took away from it being four stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I went the same way because I this this is a good obviously a good film. Um, and, and, and it does kind of represent a triumph of, of atmosphere over, over mysterious type of setting. Um, and all the visuals are, are really impressive. But like that low in the middle of the movie, I think was kind of one of the down points because you really were missing that that consistent just flow that we've kind of seen in other Christopher Nolan movies. And, and I think that's what kind of held it back a, a little. Um, but but also like when you look at some, some like, you know, the, the, the supporting cast of Hillary, Hillary Swank and what Robin uh, Robin Williams uh, uh, did, like. In terms of what made this be like an actual, an actual like quality one, like do you think it was also important for the supporting actors to be like the high quality ones that that we were able to see in this film? Yeah, like because we before we started this us uh, side of the podcast, I was like, bro, they had what's the lady from uh, Million Dollar Baby? <laughs> you like Hillary Swank, yeah, bro. So like they had a, and they had the James Sutton, the guy who plays Bucky, and and then uh, what's his the but not Buffalo Soldier, that's black. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> not the Buffalo Soldier. You no, know, so they had so many like known but unknown like you know probably like probably i want to call them b or c actors mm-hmm. but hillary swank wasn't as poised not poised but as you know known as she was like later down in her career but you got right. some of these some of these uh guys in here or you know women actors that kind of like we, we, oh, I recognize you from a film you did probably six, eight years from from right. this film. So there's a lot of supporting actors in his in his film, like kind of like got their foot in the door and then kind of like flourish in their career. But just seeing Hillary Swank in here and then James Sutton and then the, the old guy uh, Jay uh, Brazu, the who played Francis in his film. Uh, he's played in so many like supporting acting roles, so he's like, oh, I've seen him in everything in 1990s and 2000s. So okay, he's he's whatever, he's yeah. yeah. So you you have some people that are just like their whole career has been a supporting actor, but you have a lot of supporting actors break away from um that that hold and become you know standout actors like Robert Williams and Al Pacino. Yeah, right, absolutely. Um, and now getting to our second topic. Um, favorite character. I, I I went with Will Dormer because you know this is obviously a very complicated character as one that you know does navigate the guilt of an accidental murder and is you know manip- manip- manipulative at times, but gives such an underrated performance that was essential for the movie's theme because like throughout he's carrying that burden of um, you know accidentally uh, killing his his partner <laughs> and trying to, to to cover that up while still uh, finding the actual a uh, murderer that that they were looking for in the beginning, but. To you, who was your overall um, favorite character in, in this movie? Definitely Will Dormer. And I normally when we have the like the same um, 
same favorite character, I kind of try to switch it up. Yeah, switch it up. But it's hard to not. Yeah. It's hard not to love Al Pacino's character, man. Just just exactly what you said and then figure like searching for the answer to ease his guilty conscience. Exactly. That's what fuels him this entire film, right? Yeah. So, and once you get that reconciliation, then I don't think he was relieved to me in this movie. I don't think he ever got that point where like, man, like that it's like when somebody kill a family member and then you go and kill them. Like I'll say Spider-Man when, when <laughs> they kill, Uncle, why did I use Spider-Man? Because that's like the, whatever, when they kill uncle Ben or Aunt May and I'm trying to get revenge or whatever, it still doesn't feel good. Like you still yeah. feel that emptiness. Like, that bro, that won't, you know? Yeah. It don't bring them back. And I think that was, yeah. Kind of like, okay. Even with police officers, you know, I mean, yeah, so I thought that was his character was very interesting. Not taking anything from Walter Finch, but just like Will Dormer was my he was the he Al Pacino carried this movie. Let's let's call it space. Oh yeah, I, we got to be honest about that. Like I, I know sometimes we want to be like, well, the other, but like this this was a, a clear Al Pacino yeah. underrated. Where he just he just shows off what he's always been able to do. Obviously, Rob Williams is no you know small potato, but this is a new role for you, which you're not used yeah, to. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That we don't see him in this element. We don't we don't rarely see them see him in this element. Al Pacino probably saw this role like again, like, bro. He's I'm ready. Let's go. Let's shoot now. He's always on hundred. <laughs> always on hundred. I think that man did real cocaine in the. Yeah. <laughs> Like that scene in Heat. <laughs> Show heat. me what you got. Show me what you got. <laughs> Cocaine. They're like, cut, cut, Al. You good? <laughs> Who gave Al real coke again? Gosh. You <laughs> were supposed to put baking soda over there. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and now getting into most memorable scenes, I had uh, Tanya's betrayal, also uh, the, the interrogation, um, Dormer and, and, uh, accidentally uh, killing his partner, also Dormer and, and Walter's first conversation, um, and Ellie uh, finding out that that uh, that, that Dormer um, was responsible for the murder, and, and, and then the end with, with Dormer and Ellie's last conversation before his death. Like, to you, what were your overall uh, memorable scenes in this movie? The last two. When she found out, which is crazy how she found out, and then him... Then that last conversation they had before he died. And I don't think they should have, I don't think he should have died. But I mean, maybe, maybe that's what made it three stars. And before he died, he still stayed alive, it kind of having that like, yeah, that contemplation. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been dumb. I think they they killed him. I think he, he's, yeah, they, they wrote it right. Cause I don't think it would have been a three star if he would have stayed alive after what he did, first and foremost. Even if they would have sent him to jail. I don't think that'll been a good no. He he has to die. Like he has to. There's <laughs> no way around it. Yeah. But no, I think that that was a good scene for sure. Mm-hmm. And it, I didn't I didn't have any other scenes that kind of like stood out the most to me. When she found out was the best one, and then obviously the conversation right before he died. Yeah, yeah, those are only two for me. And, and I mean, like, because because we we've mentioned so much about. Um, Al Pacino and his catalog and what he's done in the past. Like to you, in terms of his overall career, his highest moments. Um, he's been in, in so many incredible trilogies. Obviously, The Godfather. What 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 he did in in Heat. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he just he has this this catalog that's so extensive, and he constantly delivers, even in his later years. Like, what do you think 
makes him such like an undeniable star and just a lifelong legend that is that's constantly delivered at the highest moment of cinema. He figures out, I think he's, he's, well, let's start right. I think he's so good at developing a character before he even gets on the screen. Mm-hmm. And I think he finds, you, you look at the Godfather, right? And how he's able to embody that role, never been in the mafia, never probably watched some old mafia films or whatever. But even watching those films, you still have to bring a light to it. I think his his demeanor, a lot of these actors like Denzel, Al Pacino, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, it's, it's a, they're, this a facial expressions, the demeanor about them. It's them truly. And I think we talked about this before It's them truly, but adding fake elements of this character and wrapping around their true self. Cause if you pay a, play a killer, like Leonardo DiCaprio in, um, uh, what's the movie? He was, uh, he was, uh, no, Gosh, I'm getting old. Well, it's okay. Shutter Island. Shutter Island. There we go. (laughs) Him playing that film and just being in that moment like that's, you have remnants of that inside of you somewhere to be able to play this role as good as you are. So it's it's the core of them and wrapping around this character that Mm -hmm. and attaching into who you really are. I think to make you a good actor, you have to have that insaneness in you. Like when it comes to Denzel. His, his his mannerism, his facial expressions, the way he articulate articulates words in 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 certain so many which like get your hands off and it's all <laughs> in here. You're gonna see the words before you hear the words. Yep. So it's gonna connect because we all know a guy like get your hands off. <laughs> exactly. And then De Niro is not De, De Niro and Al Pacino is subtly how they talk. Yeah. Like in every movie, it's subtle. Like you, it's that pause between conversations. It's like he's thinking about what he's going to say. You already know the lines or the watch gone, but he's, right. it's so natural. Cause how many times are you in a conversation and you just somebody asks you a question? You're just like, it's like you, like, it's just like so realistic. He brings that character out, but to be that, you just have to, you just got to have it in you. You got to have a different, different, yeah, a different type of, of of drive, and he definitely, definitely has yeah. it. Some um, guys are meant to be supporting actors. Some people are meant to be standouts. Sorry, yeah. I mean, I just want to add that. Absolutely. <laughs> that, yeah. um, and now I get into most horrible quotes. I had, "I'm a good cop, can't sleep because he's missing a piece of the puzzle." Also, this guy crossed the line and didn't even blink. Um, also, it's about small stuff, you know, small lies, small mistakes. And then um, uh, finally, uh, you have no evidence. I kill K. You only only know because I told you uh, what I saw. Walter. And Walter. Uh, I, I think that the last one by, by, by um, Walter, you're a good man. I know that even if even if you've forgotten it, that was an incredible yeah. line. So, so, so many, so many good lines from Walter. But to you, what were some of your memorable quotes um, that, that kind of stood out to you? Obviously, uh, you always pick the best ones, and just Walter, yeah, literally had the best quote. Um, I didn't murder her; I killed her, but it just ended up that way. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't murder her. Just, just killed her. <laughs> I killed her. It just ended up that way. Like, bro, what is you talking about? But now, Walter. <laughs> Walter had all the good quotes. Walter had the good quotes, but Will Dormer's character was better. Uh, uh, it's a crazy wait, it's, what is another one? Nah, that's all of it. You, yeah, the guy crossed the line and didn't even blink. Yeah, 
But now, nah, yeah, Walter had all the best, the best quotes. You're a good man, even if you forgotten. Because I mean, obviously, that context you killed. I made a second kill your partner and blah blah blah. And yeah, but no, yeah, the dialogue. Were, the dialogue was phenomenal in this movie. Cat would be with Al Pacino, man. Yeah. Well, I won't take away from Rob. Rob Williams has good dogs, especially in Goodwill Hunting. Oh yeah, Goodwill Hunting. It's a bunch of other like you know serious films he's been in, but like you, it's nothing, nothing where close to heat. We already know that that dialogue. Yeah. He is I, there's crazy. there are quotes that will be mentioned for that years from now, decades from now. Just the action is the juice. The action. <laughs> Come on, man. It was you so pumped like, up. <laughs> he said, "For me, just, for me." The action is. <laughs> it was like he was looking at. What do you want to be a normal guy? Like, like it was just like the normal conversation. Like they're yeah. in a whole room, a diner of people. One's a cop, one's a West Com. Nobody's worrying about like arresting him. Blah blah blah. Yeah. It's just a, just having a conversation, so simplistic, but yeah. it meant way more. I think that's the beauty of that that dialogue. It went. It meant way more than that mm-hmm. scene. Bro, oh, that's. Nobody, I don't think anybody could top that scene with dialogue, bro. At all. At all. Um, and, and now getting into to what did you like the most about the storyline. Uh, to me, how this was a, a constant a constant puzzle that was having ha- having to be kind of like reconfigured and, and really just decided on because of um, what Dormer was going through, what he was contemplating, and how he was having to navigate it and really see in the end how he could put all of these pieces of the puzzle together and also dealing with morality and, and, and what he, the murder he committed. Um, mm. To you, what element of this storyline uh, did you kind of like the most? Oh, I think what you just said, and I'll put, it's like, I love the ending. You know, I was kind of, you know, mixed emotions about the ending. Like we just talked about like earlier, like yeah. what it, if you were in the jail? Or what you said a lot? Yeah. But I think the ending was beautiful. And then with the character, I don't think he got the reconciliation. I don't think he deserved it. Mm. And that makes you think too. Did he? Did he even deserve? Yeah, deserve it. So yeah, so that's it. Lifts you like wondering, like, bro, like, what if this was had altered the ending? What it would it be like? I love that it made me like think about possible endings. Like I thought, I thought it was strong. The storyline was definitely strong, but I think well, except the middle. We talked about the middle. Yeah. The middle was uh, <laughs> that, that, that didn't hold up. But the ending, I think the ending was it, it definitely crescendoed. I thought I thought it was it was a it was a good ending. And then it made you think like, what if this would happen or that would happen? What a what a film or a book or whatever makes you like think after it's over. I think you got a good one, even if it's in a bad regard. Like I, yeah. I still think you got a good one because now it's a lingering effect. Now that movie is replaying like, bro, why would they do that? Why would they do like, even if it's bad, now you're thinking about what you just watched for yeah. more longer. Because when you watch it, oh, go ahead. And that's what I was going to say earlier. Like Christopher Nolan, I think with every movie, because people always, I, there are like a ton of YouTube clips about what did this ending mean? What did it mm-hmm. actually, and he's he said in interviews, like I let the, it's up to the viewer to decide. I fully I like let the that. viewer, I, you know, he said, I fully let the viewer decide. And I feel like that is a constant theme or yeah. constant just like trip pattern of all of his movies. Cause the ending will always make you think like, what if it was this way? What if it was that way? You're, you're never going to be fully like just settled on a Christopher Nolan ending. Yeah. N- even with Batman. Yeah. Even with Batman. Now you okay. Even Inception. Yes. Mm. That makes you think. 
That makes you think I he's like, it's like up it. to you. I still don't. <laughs> I'm joking. joking, but it does make you think. Interstellar That's... as well, especially Bro, Interstellar. Especially uh, it was Interstellar. long, but it was good. Yes, it was definitely good, bro. Like I was, I was glued in on the movie. It was, yeah. I know a couple people fell asleep. My dad fell asleep. That's one of your favorite Nola movies, isn't it? Yes. Interstellar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like Matthew McConaughey. I don't know why people don't like Matthew McConaughey, but I, I think he's a good actor. Yeah. I think he could play in any everything. But Interstellar, and I like you know sci-fi, you know space. They were there for three hours. Dude, Groot, he <laughs> turned sixty-eight. <laughs> hey, whoa, what are we doing? Hey, how is this happening? A full-blown beer, <laughs> right? Exactly. And he was like, "Hello, where's you going?" <laughs> Bro, okay. Okay, they were going yeah. three hours, bro. But no, it, it kept me intrigued. Like, I like stuff like that. I like thinking, like, even even with the, like, he was pulling the strings behind the bookcase. Oh, and he yes. was at home. Bro, oh, my amazing. Goodness. I was yes, like, cinema. oh, that's from, the, yeah, that's from the beginning of the movie. Oh, that's when she was a kid. He was doing that. I was like, bro. Man, so, I'm blown. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's one of my favorite films from him. Absolutely. And getting to our last topic, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? And obviously, like, this is a movie um came out in 02, has been around so long. And, you know, I, I do think it will, because obviously with the actors that we have in it, Pacino, um, Robert, uh, 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 Robin Williams, and, and, and Hilary Swank, all, all those actors are, are going to be able to, to elevate and be a, an interesting watch. Mm-hmm. And, but it also is the, is the question of, like, is this going to be as watchable as, as other Nolan movies? And, and, I, and I don't think it will be in that sense, but I still think it can be that movie that you'll be intrigued to, to, to watch when it's on. To, to you, how do you think this movie will, 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 will age another decade for, from now and, and kind of how it will be compared to, to other Nolan movies? I don't think it will be compared because I don't think a lot of people know about this That's thing. what I'm saying. It's hidden. It's hidden in the vault. It's just like, I don't... I think when people see this, they're gonna be like, "Wait, what's in Sawyer?" <laughs> huh? You talking about the cookies? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know because it's not played. Like you have old films that's played on FX or Freeform or whatever. Like they they're recycled. Films like these don't get recycled. No. Uh, and you it, gotta really search for this. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't care about uh, directors' uh, catalog long enough after you know 10 years and Christopher Nolan's been in the game for a long time so I don't think this film obviously if people don't know about it this is not recycled in any um you know TV or streaming platform then it's not gonna even I don't think this even on Amazon you can watch for free you gotta buy this (laughs) that's why I didn't watch it again I remembered. <laughs> I'm gonna use the memory. <laughs> I'm not I'm about to rent this for three ninety nine. That's four dollars to go to groceries. What's he talking about? <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah. I remembered it because you know, uh, I, even though I watch it at a young age, I still remember most of the scenes. And then you can get clips and stuff from different places oh, yeah. to kind of bring jog your memory. But um, I don't think this is watchable because it's not recycled in any other, mm. you know. And not, you know, not even Christopher Nolan, like, hey, guys, remember Check that film I did? <laughs> They're like, wait, what? With Robin Williams. <laughs> now, we want to talk about Dark Knight. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, I don't think this this movie in this catalog is going to be, obviously, not well known, so. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Winter Burns, and my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later. <laughs>